Hello everyone and welcome to Malaria, Poverty and Politics, a podcast where I invite various experts to discuss the issues of inequity in global health and in particular the inadequacy of malaria control strategies in Africa. My name is Silas Majambere and I am very grateful that you have chosen to join me on this podcast. Today, I sit down with Professor Anne Kelly. Anne Kelly is a professor in anthropology and global health and head of the Department of Global Health and Social Medicine at King's College, London. She serves on the World Health Organization Strategic Advisory Group of Experts, SAGE, for Ebola vaccines and vaccination. She is also on the editorial board of Economy and Society, Cultural Anthropology, Humanities and Social Sciences, Communications and Medical Anthropology Quarterly. In this two-parts episode, Anne Kelly, as a great anthropologist she is, walks with me from my origins to where I am today to give a sense of how this podcast was born and why I feel strongly about the topics I raise. Welcome to part one with Prof. Anne Kelly. Hi Silas, it's so great to be here um, with you um, and have this opportunity. I was, in advance of this conversation, I was thinking to when we first met um, and my, the distinct image that comes to mind is you in the front of a Land Rover um, carrying an enormous ceramic pot um, moving around a market um, okay. and not sa- entirely satisfied with the ceramic pot, um, but it's sitting on your lap in the front. Um, and I remember asking, you know, what this was for and you were planning on finding ways, I think for mosquitoes to breed, which to me seemed entirely incongruous as a social scientist and very new to the field. Um, it seemed like, you know, quite, you know, I won't say crazy, but quite, quite, quite <laughs> interesting. And I'm just grateful um, for many, for many kind of um, prompts and memories uh, with you um, at the start of my career. But to have this opportunity now to reflect back on kind of, you know, your trajectory and, you know, where, you know, where you've gone from there, what got you there um, and what continues to motivate you to do these seemingly (laughs) intense things like finding pots in which for mosquitoes to breathe. So thank you. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks, Anne. And and sorry, my voice is not very clear. Um, So thanks for for taking this conversation first and and it's really a pleasure to to connect with you always so we've um i can't remember that year but it might be 2004 three that's right that's right so um it's it's close to 20 years that we met and um it's it's interesting what sticks to people's minds that you remember uh play pots and a Land Rover. I'll come back to the Land Rover at some point because um, uh, there's something that I want to mention about the Land Rover. But true, we uh, at the time we were trying to find a way of trapping mosquitoes um, in the Gambia. So this this was in Farafeni 
um, a town that um, at the time when we were there, it would take you uh, a good part of the day to to reach it from Banjul, the capital of Gambia. You remember the bumpy roads and uh, the yeah, the ferry that would break and uh, <laughs> delay the day uh, the the trip by a day or two. So, um, what uh, brought me there and what keeps me going? So, I'm. Um, originally from Burundi. Um, Burundi is a, is a very tiny country. You might miss it on the map uh, of Africa. It's in East Africa. It's bordering Rwanda, the big DR Congo, uh, and Tanzania. Mm. And um, I, I grew up in a, in, a, in a place that had a lot of malaria. So um, when I was a child, I, I had several episodes of malaria some more important than others. All my family had that. Um, so it was like uh, something that happens all the time. So we lived with malaria. So fast forward, I finished my studies. I go to the university. After that, I get into um, uh, postgrad school uh, in, in Holland. And that's, that's the most important maybe turn in my life. So I, I get to, to the Netherlands uh, where I had had um, a fellowship to to study uh, evolutionary biology. Um, so I get there, I, I start the class, and and we uh, one of the classes I'm debating with a, an American professor who is teaching us about evolution, and and he's telling us how we came from apes and all that. So me with my religious background, with my cultural background, I couldn't I couldn't fathom that I would come from an ape. So. Uh, we started a discussion and, and, and um, he, he was a little bit annoyed <laughs> because I, I delayed the class by a few minutes uh, because I wouldn't let go. Um, but back home from that, that class, uh, I kept thinking whether, whether this is something I really wanted to do for my life, uh, whether this is a type of um, science or, or, or um, class that I want to follow up. And I started, an idea started developing that I needed to switch to something that made more sense to me. This is not to say that evolutionary studies are not good and they have their place, obviously. But as I said, where I come from, and, and that determined that I needed to switch. So I approached um, one of my supervisors. I told them, uh, this thing is not making sense to me. I want to change. And they were very good enough and, and uh, generous. So I transitioned to, into malaria. So that's where I started working on malaria. So someone visits from the Netherlands and he's giving a speech on malaria or a, or a presentation on malaria. I go to this presentation and from then I never turned back. So that must have been 2000 and two, I believe. Amazing. So. Seems entirely unbelievable that you would be stubborn with a <laughs> with a point or want to think deeply and philosophically about, you know, the kinds of questions that you were asking. So, yeah. you know, that 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 does resonate with what I I've known about you. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we, we can diverge into that when we have time. But um so the, I was trying to say how I ended up um, in what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So my motivation has always been um, to do something that matters um, for, let's say, selfishly for me, uh, for my family, for my country, uh, Burundi, for Africa in general. 
and then for the world if I'm too ambitious. So um, knowing that malaria is a huge, huge problem, uh, has been a huge problem back home um, all the time in Africa in general, I wanted to do something about it. I didn't know what I can do, but I, I said, well, if I have this opportunity to study uh, a master's, I'd rather do something that might lead me at some point to find a solution to malaria. I didn't know what I would do in the end, but this particular supervisor led me into studying mosquitoes, mm. uh, mosquitoes that cause malaria. So I did my project, first project in, in 2003 on um, looking at how mosquitoes behave when they are babies. Uh, so when they are in the water, so they they lay their legs and then they become um, uh, immatures that live in the water. And I was looking at how they interact, um, basically spending a few hours in the lab trying to look at them and what they do. And um, I don't want to claim that I was the first one, but uh, I tend to just to congratulate myself of having seen uh, a mosquito eating another mosquito. So a, a larvae, um, a bigger mosquito larva eating a smaller mosquito larva, what we call cannibalism in, in mosquitoes. And it was like a aha moment. So this is the time when you, you jump out of the lab screaming that you've just seen something spectacular. Mm. <laughs> People listening to this must be laughing uh, uh, because it's uh, it only makes sense when you're doing this type of work. So it was a, a big thing. And then I, I really loved what I was doing. And I, since then, I've never stopped. So moved uh, from, um, from Holland then to the UK to do my PhD. And this is where we met. Uh, we, this is where I met with you in the Gambia. I was doing my, my field work in the Gambia, um, supervised by um, Steve Lindsay. And this is what I remember to have met you. So you you do remember the um, the Land Rover and the clay pot, and, and I remember one thing uh, of you. It's um, uh, <laughs> mangoes. Yes. <laughs> so, so, uh, how do you how do you call those mangoes that are not uh, the green mangoes? Oh my gosh, I still dream of them. I dream of them at night. They are they are they are my you know nectar of the gods <laughs> yeah, so it's two things it's the, uh, this is the first time i see uh, this um american zungu uh white person <laughs> in almost seeming like a, a lost person in in, a, in the bush and eating um green mangoes and, and i'm i mean i had not never been eating that and, and i remember questioning you on that and you gave me a piece <laughs> of ate it and then uh, your other second thing that I remember of you is um, we started talking and you you had been running and, and a, a lot of kids have been running behind you. Um, so first of all, I was really impressed that someone can be running at 45 degrees. I, I, I just couldn't understand how you'd be doing that. But then you were like amazed about these kids that were running after you. Uh, so those are the two things that I... Yeah. Well, I think that those are the, the great indicators of the fumbling anthropologist, which, you know, you have to you have to lean into as someone who is <laughs> completely clueless. Um, I mean, I just wanted to and, and there, I know there, there's more we're going to elaborate about kind of what next. But I was really just I'd love to hear more about, you know, this the particular connection to, you know, the mosquito. Right. I mean, just hearing you now about how the aha moment, I mean, how tremendous that was. But, you know, malaria is 
a massive problem that can be tackled from any number of angles. And just, you know, if there was anything, you know, other than the serendipity of kind of, you know, who you were working with or the questions that are being asked that you find rewarding or engaging about working with this totally, you know, inscrutable and yet completely common kind of insect. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, it, what I didn't mention in, in my background is that I, I, I was a biologist, let's say. I, I, I did uh, biology at the University of Burundi before I left. Um, so one of the things that I could do uh, in terms of malaria that I wanted to work on was either to go into medical studies and, and become a doctor and treat people or do something that is close to controlling malaria and, and what what was possible at the time, and I and I think uh, it, it was a good choice at the, at the time, is to work on the vectors of malaria, mosquitoes. So um, I would say this is a combination of my background because I had done biology, and also something that was fascinating in the sense that um, early enough I learned that most countries that have eliminated malaria in the West, um, the US, Europe, Israel, elsewhere have heavily relied on controlling mosquitoes or, or killing mosquitoes, let's call it that way. And I thought, I mean, we have plenty of doctors uh, in Burundi and we have never seen anyone controlling mosquitoes in Burundi. And, and my, at, at the time that I, I was studying, uh, stud, studying these, um, or starting these studies, of course there were bed nets, um, there were things happening in, inside the, the homes, but at, I'd, ne I'd never seen any real mosquito control program back home. Mm. My dream was, okay, I do these studies and I, I build up a project. I, I emulate whatever has been going on in Europe, uh, in the US and elsewhere, and I, I go back and do it in, in Burundi, which sadly has not happened yet, uh, but I'm still alive. Maybe it's going to happen. Mm. So that's that's basically the connection knowing that it's something that has worked somewhere else um mm. looking at the fascination of of how mosquitoes are really difficult to co to control and and they adapt with us they know how to hide they know how to get around um insecticides it's it's an interesting field in itself but yeah. um, but to be honest my my goal is really not to know them more but to kill them more I mean, that's such an interesting point. I mean, you say it's worked elsewhere, right? So, I mean, do you have any thoughts about why, you know, this hasn't been prioritized in Africa, particularly, I mean, Burundi, but elsewhere? Um, you know, again, speaking as a naive person, it'd be just good to yeah. hear why you feel like there's that discrepancy. This can take us hours. Um, because <laughs> it's, a, it's a point that is debated. Um, I have my personal views and I'd love people to challenge me on that. Um, but if we can say it in a very few summarized way, I think um, the reason we're not doing mosquito control in Africa the way we have done in, in the West um, goes down to something that is bigger than that question. So in other words, um, in Africa, in many ways, um, we don't set or have not been able to set the agenda of what happens in many fields. Uh, so malaria is not the only one, but um, the the way mosquito control, vector control has been happening in Africa, it's much more an external idea 
than an internal developed one. So in other words, we've had, we haven't had enough time or willingness or means or um, just being smart and, and thinking about our own solutions to our own problems. It sounds cliche, but um, if you look at mosquito control today in Africa, it's, it's made by, it's funded externally, first of all. Um, second, it's made by tools that are externally sourced, sourced um, bed nets, insecticides, all the things we throw at mosquitoes come to us from outside and particularly come, come to us through donors. Mm. So in that sense, if, if you're trying to build a program uh, of mosquito control and you're relying um, on external people and external tools, then it, it follows that the external people will design something that works for them, mm. not necessarily for you. Because if, if I live, if I'm in Washington, DC, Geneva, uh, I don't know where, and I'm trying to think about how I control malaria in Burundi, I don't think about boots on the grounds. I don't, I don't think about uh, putting on boots and taking uh, some things and taking it in, in the water. I think about what I can give you in Burundi to use. Um, the simplest things, simplest tools, bed nets, uh, insecticides that, that you spray in the house, they are easy to count. They are easy to, well, easy is a big word, but um, it's easier for me outside to handle that. But if it's a program that what we had uh, in uh, Tennessee Valley, if it's something that uh, was in the Palestine in 1800, mm -hmm. something that was done in the Copper Belt in Zambia, you you can't just hand out things. You you have to build a program. You have to, and it's costly, and it takes time, and evolves. And um, so we, in my view, that's that's where the the difference is. The biggest difference is it's it's, it's not locally designed it's not locally thought through it's not locally funded and as such it becomes a, a commodity-based um, program rather than mm -hmm. something that is environmental something that is designed around um, the uh, around the housing around the environment around agriculture around and many things that should be done have been done elsewhere to tackle mosquitoes that are not today happening in Africa because of the design. Yeah, I mean, I wondered, because of course, one of my other memories of you is in massive boots at, <laughs> coming back and being soaked um, in the Gambia from just being quite literally deep, deep in the fields, this work. And, you know, to your point about kind of what is needed for these programs in terms of design, um, beyond the kind of local political commitment and will, I mean, do you have, Thoughts on how you get um, how you get that kind of work started, or what you know, what you would, what you need, or what you have to be clear eyed about um, as you begin. Yeah, interesting question. It, to be honest, I don't think these are rocket science questions that we need to mm. figure out. Particularly because we have a past behind us, we have a history, we have success that we can emulate. So we we can go from there already. So it's not that we lack knowledge about what can be done it's those decisions descent disentangling the um the whole system of international aid um which is not a bad thing in itself but um knowing how to not cripple the local knowledge 
and the local taking responsibility of doing something. So if you look at programs that have worked, they've relied on um, environmental management. Um, so there's a nice review, um, trying to remember who the person is. Um, it was published in 2005 uh, that looks at the environmental management and how it's worked uh, in the past uh, for mm. management control. The, I think one the the other problem that I didn't mention um, that sort of answers your question is to take malaria as a, a one thing um, and just deal with it in in silo and just focus and spend on it three billion dollars a year um, without looking at the things that are around it. Um, in my view, malaria is a is a poverty disease. It, it's linked to poverty. It's linked to bad housing. It's linked to bad environmental management. It's be, um, linked to bad uh, constructions of roads and, and things, bad drainage. And the problem is most of the solutions we've, we're throwing at, at malaria today have nothing to do with those things that I just mentioned. Uh, we, we're yeah. thinking about small things that we can do and we, we, we cross and tick the, the, the box. But all those things that I just mentioned are doable at a local level. Uh, mm. they, of course, they require policies, they require um, uh, political engagement, but to drain uh, to drain a swamp, you don't you don't need someone in Geneva to tell you that you can drain a swamp. You know how you do that. You you don't need anyone to tell you how to build a house and screen a house. You don't need anyone to tell you that uh, if you if you leave um, a puddle of water in front of your house, you'll have mosquitoes breeding in it. So there is education. There is uh, thinking holistically about a human being and a dignity of a human being, rather than just one disease that, it, that becomes exotic and everyone is excited about it. Of course, it's a, it's a huge problem and it's killing a lot of people, but you don't resolve it by just taking it as one particular disease that you want to focus on. You want to focus holistically at a person and what, what makes them live in a better way. Yeah. I mean, you raise a really interesting question there about kind of things we already know. And, you know, again, you're someone, you know, who I, <laughs> who I know um, is a great scientist. You know, I've seen your work and I've watched you, the rigor with which you work. And I just wonder, just listening to you, you know, what you think, where, you know, where does science and research sit in this endeavor? What is, you know, what is the role? What is the direction? Because one could say there's, there's kind of policy and interventions, you know, what is doable? But, you know, how, do you have any reflections on how you feel, you know, the orientation of research, um, the kinds of questions that we could be asking that we're not? Um, and yeah, back to your point about who's directing that agenda. Is it, I mean, the same kinds of politics that you see reflected in why a bed net is so attractive in terms of who, you know, what kinds of questions get asked by the scientists? Yeah, interesting question. I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because one of the one of the controversy that I've been involved in is saying that we're not doing the right science around mm. malaria. Um, this is not to demean uh, science or people who are doing science they're doing a marvelous job but the most of the science going on on malaria is not to resolve the issue of malaria it's, it's the excitement about it and the the interest I mean um, <laughs> 
I'm gonna. I'm not gonna mention this person by by name, but I I have a, a friend um, who once told me that they love um, the way a mosquito looks like, and they were researching about this particular creature because they love this creature. They, they this person is interested in the, in this creature. This is not wrong, uh, and and this person is very clever and and did a lot of uh, papers about the mosquitoes, but. But this person is not looking for uh, curing anyone of malaria or, or doing anything about malaria. This person is interested in the mosquito. Uh, the same goes with people who are interested in um, uh, genes of mosquitoes, genes of um, parasites and, and stuff like that. So there is that part that we need to separate. There's, there's science for, for um, the sake of advancing our knowledge common knowledge, and this is very good. Um, and, and they should have their space and, and do what they need to do. My problem is that we, we have a mixture of, of that uh, with everyone writing a grant saying um, 600,000 people are dying of malaria every year. So I need this amount of money to do X, Y, Z. But in the end, um, that particular grant produces maybe two, three, four, five papers um, that are published. And these papers are going to talk about, oh, we, we found that there is resistance to parithroids um, in Kenya. And then another paper comes up and says, oh, we have found that uh, there is resistance to uh, carbamates in Tanzania and in Kenya. And then another paper, and then another paper. Um, to the point that if you, today, if you look at the papers that are being uh, published uh, in malaria, in entomology, particularly in the study of mosquitoes, I, I, okay, I don't know the statistics, but I can, I can bet a statistic. 80% um, will talk about insecticide resistance. Mm. And this is not a random thing. Uh, these people who are publishing this have been funded because of a particular idea. Uh, someone thinks that we have to, to work on insecticide resistance because this is the biggest problem um, that we face. And now people have written about that. This is the biggest problem that malaria faces, um, insecticide resistance. But if you push that behind uh, or a little bit back, this person is talking from a, a concept that the insecticide will resolve the issue of malaria. So if you see anything resisting to that, of course, you would be alarmed and say, oh, this is, this is terrible. So the science we're doing is biased. It, we're, we're, we're doing a loop. Um, so we, we've decided mm -hmm. that malaria will be controlled by two things, maybe insecticides and drugs. And then all our R&D is focusing on that. Um, not all, that's an exaggeration, but most of the R&D is, is um, focusing on insecticide resistance, uh, drug discovery. And then obviously all the, well, most of the papers will be talking about that because that's what is funded. That's where, uh, that's what people do. But let me expand on that a little bit because it's, it's something I've been discussing with um, mm. uh, fellow Africans. What that produces in, in, in fact is that in the coming 10 to 15 years, or, or actually maybe already, all the scientists who would become implementers, let's say they become the decision makers in the ministries of health, in, in, in other bodies that decide this, 
will have studied one thing, um, insecticide resistance yeah. or, or drug discovery. And that's what they will know. And that's what they will push. And that will, that's what will always be funded or, or promoted. And that's going to produce a monolithic way of thinking, which is really dangerous for any, any type of uh, science, in particular one that is related to a disease killing half a million people every year. Mm. So it's not a simple thing that the science that we're working on today is looking at very, very few things. And if, it's, if it does branch out, it branches out into the hype about innovation. Yeah. So if, if you want to get grant money, you have to say that you are innovating. You have to say something about some special gene that you're going to discover that's going to do miracles or a vaccine or, or something that is very exciting. So we're jumping from something that we know that works that has worked in the in the past, that is demanding environmental management, housing, stuff like that, that is very demanding and very costly. So we, we drop that, we go for nets and insecticide-based um, solutions that are much easier to implement and to count and, and to, to distribute. And then we jump to genes and, and, and artificial intelligence and all the things that we don't understand very well that are very fancy and get you money and you start working. So I, I personally don't know uh, whether this is the, the, right, the right path to take uh, because so far, and, and people should understand me very well, it's very important to continue those researches and it's, it's, it's fine to use technology and all that. But I don't see anywhere where we say in Africa, we tried, what has worked elsewhere and we failed. Mm. I don't see that. I don't see um, grants, big grants that have done, big programs that have done environmental management, have done housing correctly, have done drainage, have done all the things that have happened in the past in the West. And then mm. they did it, they failed and they decided, okay, this is not gonna work. Mm -hmm. This is a very long answer to a rather simple question, but it's, it's, a, it's a little bit convoluted because it goes, it goes in all direction. Um, and, and after this, I'll, I'll shut up and then you can ask another question. The, the point that is related to that or the simplest answer that I usually get is that uh, mosquito control in Africa is very different because the vectors are different. They transmit malaria more than other vectors elsewhere. They, they adapt it to humans be, the human beings. They follow us, they are in the houses. All those things are true. Uh, but I don't know who, um, I, could, I could be uh, ignorant on this. I, I have never seen someone who, following that, they did exactly what have happened in the US and in Europe and elsewhere, and they failed because of those points. There is none of that. There is just the theory that because mosquitoes are more adapted and, and all that, maybe that's not going to work. But if you're very simplistic, as I like to be in, in facing a, a gigantic problem like that, if you go where mosquito breed um, mm. in the water, whether this is a mosquito that is going to be very adapted and very uh, close to human beings, that doesn't matter. That mosquito will have to breed in water. Mm -hmm. Malaria mosquitoes, that is. If you attack them there, it doesn't matter whether they were going to become more 
adapted to human beings or less. If you can control it, control them there, you've done it. The second thing, if you have a good house, it doesn't matter what type of mosquitoes you have, uh, you will still protect your people in the house, regardless the type of mosquito that you have mm. are biting in the house. So it's it's an argument that is are there and, and people talk about it, but I'm I'm not personally convinced that this is this is our main problem. Our main problem is the the the, uh, the design of what we do rather than the type of mosquito that we have. Thank you for listening to part one of this episode. In part two, Prof. Ann Kelly continues to investigate and probe my thinking, and we end part two with why I remain hopeful despite all the issues raised. If you want to be notified of when the next episode is published, please follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, the Podbean app, or Amazon Music. Until then, love mercy, act justly, and walk humbly.